from the NIV Bible. It's John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered the tomb. And he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me, where have you laid him? and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Well, good morning, church family. It's so, so good to see you all live this morning. Before we step into the text of John 20, I'd like for us to pause together for a moment and to imagine what it must have been like that morning at the empty tomb. Maybe this was in a well-kept garden with flowers and growing plants. This was a rich man's tomb after all. It's early and the grass is still wet from the morning dew. And although it's quiet in the early morning, 
something has just happened here that changes everything. This garden is to become the birthplace of new life in a way. It seems appropriate that the first meeting with the risen Jesus would be in a garden and that Jesus himself mistaken for a gardener. But we don't have to imagine the events that unfold, unfold here that day because John has written down for us what happened. He's recorded the accounts of eyewitnesses who saw these things for themselves. So let's take a look at one of these accounts together and ask the question, what does this mean for us today? So at the beginning of John chapter 20, we see that the sun has set on the evening of Sabbath, which was the Saturday evening, and it was now early Sunday morning before the sun had risen when Mary ventures out in the dark to the tomb. Now this is Mary Magdalene, not Mary who was Jesus's mother. She had been at the crucifixion as well. And as she gets close enough to the tomb to see it in the dark, she notices that it's been opened. The round stone that had blocked the entrance had been rolled away to one side. And so she assumes that grave robbers had been there and had taken the body away. She turns and runs to tell Peter and another disciple who most assumed to be John, who was the author of this book, that Jesus's body had been taken. So Peter and John run back. And when they arrive at this tomb and step inside, we read in verses six and seven what they saw. Peter saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in place, separate from the linen. Now, this was a pretty unusual way to find the grave clothes. No one taking a body would have removed these. And John's reaction to this is noted in verse eight. He came in and he saw and believed. We read here that John believed believed that what Jesus had said would happen actually did, that he wouldn't stay dead. I wonder as I'm reading this, what it felt like for John in that moment. Did he get goosebumps all of a sudden, realizing that something out of the ordinary was going on? This was likely just the beginning of a slow realization of what had happened and what this actually meant. But then we simply read that both disciples go home. The account doesn't follow them to see what they did next, which I would have expected it to do. But instead, we remain here in the dark with Mary. In some ways, Mary might be seen as a stand-in for us in this moment, when life doesn't turn out the way we hoped it would, when instead of a good outcome, the worst has come to pass. The text stays with her here. She continues to stand outside the empty tomb, and she's crying. It was horrific that the body would have been stolen. This was the last straw for her after all that had happened the past few days. I'm sure she was emotionally exhausted from the experience. But for some reason, it's at that moment she decides to bend down and look through the low doorway of the tomb. Maybe for the first time, we don't know. And we read that she sees here two angels inside sitting where Jesus would have lay. And they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, I would have been very surprised to see angels inside the tomb, but we aren't told here if she's surprised or afraid. Maybe with her eyes blurry from tears, she didn't realize what she was seeing. They have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Then turning around, maybe she heard a noise behind her. She sees a man who asks her the same question, woman, why are you weeping? 
whom are you seeking? Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She thinks it must be the gardener who's out at the tomb so early in the morning. And there's a pause. Mary, he says to her, and she realizes it's actually Jesus, Rabboni or teacher, she says. And we have to read between the lines here a bit to guess what happened. But it seems like she took hold of Jesus in some way because he has to tell her to stop. I like to imagine she throws her arms around him here, but more likely she kneels down and takes hold of his feet. Jesus tells her not to hold on to him because he hasn't finished what he was there to do. But she used to go tell his brothers, that is his disciples, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And so Mary leaves to pass on the news to his disciples. A woman was the first witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Now chapter 20 here will go on and continue to give the account of Jesus coming to his disciples and then to Thomas, who will need to touch the marks on Jesus's hands and side before he would believe what had happened. But I'd like for us to stay here at the empty tomb a little bit longer and reflect on what Mary experienced. What just happened here? And what does this mean for us today? A week ago on Palm Sunday, Jesus shared a parable in John chapter 12. Very truly I tell you, Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He was talking about himself here, about his own death. And on Good Friday, we saw this happened. He was crucified on a Roman cross. But today, on Easter Sunday morning, we see the beginning of something new. The seed was buried, but now the first tendrils of life are breaking through the ground. Life where there had been none a day before. But this was the plan all along. His death wasn't by accident. It was a purposeful act in, in order to bring life to us. Earlier in the book, in the well-known passage of John 3.16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Life through death. So not only would Jesus' own life be given back, as we learn through the report of these witnesses, but also his death was to bring life to all who would realize the truth of their story, of their testimony. Life was the inheritance in a way brought through this death. Like money left to loved ones in a will, life was what was left in Jesus's name to be inherited by any and all who would care to receive it. And this wasn't a limited time offer just for his followers at that time. John points out later in this chapter that it's a life that's offered even to those who read about it and believe. That's why he wrote it down. In verse 31, he writes, these are recorded so that you, the reader, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the stories of these witnesses are important because they speak to the truth of Jesus being who he claimed he was. For one, he claimed to be the promised Messiah. In the Hebrew scriptures written many centuries before, it was prophesied that a Messiah would come who would save his people. 
And these testimonies speak also to the truth of Jesus being God himself. Who else could counteract the work of death but the one who came up with the idea of life in the first place? The Christian hope then is that through accepting the testimony of these witnesses, and by doing so believing that Jesus is who he claims he is, we can ask God for this life in Jesus's name. But what kind of life is actually on offer here? It's both an inner and an outer renewal in a way. Inwardly, it's a life that restores relationship. The Bible talks about the problem of sin, which might be described as a self-focused, self-centered way of living. It's one that destroys relationship, both the one that we're meant to have with our God, as well as destroying relationships with the people around us. So this new life given through Jesus' death is one that fixes this. It both restores our relationship with God and it calls us to be in right relationship with those around us. The Bible talks about the greatest command being to love God and love our neighbor. So it's a life that both invites and empowers us to turn from this self-centered way of living to one that is God and other focused. But how does this happen? If you read more of John's gospel, you'll see that Jesus talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit to those who believe. And I know this test can sound like a pretty strange concept if you haven't heard this before, but the Holy Spirit is God's tangible presence with us today. It's him that we can invite into our lives, the one who actually brings this new life that Jesus talks about. But the hope we have doesn't stop there either. It isn't just the renewal of our inner lives, but it's a hope in an outward renewal as well. The Christian hope is that just as Jesus was brought back from the dead, so also all who choose to accept this inheritance, this life, will experience resurrection themselves one day, when God's kingdom fully comes, when things will be made right in the world. And this isn't a disembodied soul going to heaven when you die, but a real you can touch it and feel it coming back to life. Jesus is the proof that this can happen and the means to make it possible. So it's through relationship with Jesus, in his name as we read here, that we receive this life. So the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The events that happened that day in the garden had great significance both for Mary and others at the time, but it continues to have significance for us today. The seed was buried, but on this day over 2000 years ago now, the first signs of new life broke through the ground. And God still offers this life today to all who would ask for it. So I'd like to close us now with just a short prayer. Um, if you are at a place in your life where you would like to decide to receive this life that Jesus offers, I invite you to pray this prayer silently after me. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life, for the ways I've lived just for myself. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you for the life that you offer me, for your forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Amen.
If you'd like to explore more of who Jesus is as well, or if you have any questions, we'd love to be in touch with you. You can email the address you see here, pray at firstbc.org, or you can private message John Sang, our pastoral care minister in the Zoom chat here as well with your contact info, and we can be in touch with you later on um, through that too. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.